Thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am Ryan Burklow. And today, what I wanted to do is rather than you all hear uh, myself and Alex banter back and forth, which I'm sure is fun and exciting, um, I wanted to bring in a different resource, another professional that works in the auto home umbrella insurance industry. Uh, you know, as I've mentioned before in other podcasts, we we all have different people talking into our financial lives, whether or not we know it or not, right? You've got your auto and home insurance agent, your life insurance agent, your CPA, maybe the brother-in-law who thinks he knows everything. But having it one coordinated, efficient plan and looking at the holistic picture is the ideal situation. And so what I wanted to do is I brought in Kristen Blosser, who works with Sprague Israel Giles Insurance. Uh, who is a professional in the auto home umbrella insurance industry. So I wanted to get her uh, opinion and takes on different things. So allow me to introduce Kristen. Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. This is my first time doing a podcast. So forgive me if I have a couple mess ups or anything like that. So So Kristen and I are already starting to laugh at each other. So Kristen and I uh, used to work with each other uh, in past lives, and we may be two goofy individuals that uh, enjoy uh, having fun. So I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of laughter in this and maybe some jokes in the podcast, right? I would assume so. <laughs> I would only assume so. And this, you know, this is a roundabout way for you and I to work together and partner like we used to, because we had a great time working together many years ago back in the the insurance days i won't name the carrier that we were with but but yes it was we had a good time when we worked together yeah contrary to popular belief uh, any of my clients listening right now i i actually can be fun i'm not the other guy that maybe you know <laughs> <laughs> so so you know kristen why don't you tell everyone how did you get into the insurance industry um so I was bartending for a while after I got my AA, my associate's degree, because I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do or what field I wanted to go in. So I took a few years off and I was bartending and decided I want to go back to school. And I actually went back to school for finance um, because I wanted to be a wealth manager or financial advisor. Um, And so I went back and I got my bachelor's degree and the year I graduated was good old 2008. And everything crashed at that time. And I was terrified to be responsible for somebody's money or their finances because, I mean, a lot of stuff happened. And that that really turned me off from that field. Um, But then I started thinking, you know, what industry is going to be there all the time? And what does everybody need? So that's how I got started in insurance. It was completely just I want some secure job and that was now 11 years ago i've been in the insurance industry the insurance field i've played many different roles in the field which contribute to where i'm at now and you know they help with the policies and explaining the policies and the coverages so i know how these policies actually work but that's really how i got into it now Talk to talk to everybody about the field that you're talking about, like claims experience is, is one of the fields that, that you had. So talk to everyone about claims versus obviously you're on the front end side of things. How does that how is that a, a value add with your clients? With my experience in claims, I've been everything from an auto injury adjuster. So handling injuries resulting from auto accidents. Um, I've also worked for a municipality and handled all their liability um, slip and falls, property damage, water, water or sewer backups. Um, I've also dabbled a little in workers' comp, um, that field, but not too, too much. But it helps because I understand both sides of what's going on on the claim. I also can give 
my clients realistic expectations as to what's going to happen as the claim evolves. So, you know, I've, I've been on the at-fault side, I've been at the not-at-fault side, and I understand, I've, I see all sides about how people feel and how a claim makes them feel, and I just never want to be the agent or the broker that somebody says, I didn't know about that coverage, because I want my clients to be aware of what can happen and how these things can evolve. But it also allows me to be an advocate for my client. I can get up on the phone and call up the adjuster and say, hey, I've been in your shoes. I know exactly how this goes, um, which, which helps out a lot because there's a lot of times I can talk about it with the adjuster and we'll come to a resolution versus a, a stalemate with the adjuster and the client. So, Right, obviously the more uh, information you have that you can share with the client, you know, maybe it's a point of maybe they shouldn't file the claim exactly. because the rate might go through the roof and it's just not worth the small home insurance claim or something like that. Is that what you're stating with that? Exactly. Yeah. We have those conversations all the time. And, you know, when you have that rapport with your client, you can be honest with them. You can say, Hey, you know, this isn't going to be worth it. Your deductible is going to be a thousand bucks on it. The claim's only $2,000. It's not worth the rate increase that could potentially happen as a result of filing it. So we have that conversation quite a bit, you know, and then when the person is in the claim scenario, that's when I can set realistic expectations for my client. And then, I mean, I can also help out the adjuster having a little bit client control or client management, but I can also reassure the my client that they things are progressing and this is what they need to do. This is how you get it done. This is how you get to the the resolution quickly because nobody wants to sit there in a claim scenario for years upon years, you know? You mean we all don't want to sit around wasting our time talking about claims? Are you saying we're wasting my time? <laughs> I'm no. wasting your time. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> okay, so you next question. Yeah, no, right. Next question. No, you brought up something that I think is an important um, piece to bring up, and not that one is necessarily better than the other, but maybe for um, clients to understand is you said broker. Mm -hmm. So, what's the difference between a broker and say uh, a captive agent or you know a state farm agent or farmers agent? How does that? What's the difference between the two? Yeah. So, like you said, you said captive agent. Captive meaning they're with one carrier, one insurance company. Farmers can only write for farmers. State Farm can only write for State Farm. Um, whereas a broker, I'm appointed with various companies, so I can actually proactively remarket and market uh, clients' accounts. So I can get a good idea of what the nationwide market is looking like comparatively. So we can ensure that you get the best rate, and we can ensure that you're not losing any coverages between one carrier or another. Um, we get the um, the renewal information about 60 to 45 days in advance. So we can start looking at that before the client even knows um, that, you know, if we see a spike in the rate, we start researching it and we start working with underwriters. We personally have an assigned underwriter that we work with at each different carrier. So we have a relationship with our underwriters. We have a relationship with the carriers where in the captive world, which you and I worked in, I couldn't even, I didn't even know we had a, an assigned underwriter at all. I mean, I, I heard maybe there was somebody to talk to, but I never had to They're talk to They're definitely separate worlds. Right. I mean, it, that, I would say it's your standard, like I compare it to corporate America, if you will, like I'm in this department, I'm not talking to the other department mm -hmm. unless you're mandating me to, <laughs> to, right. to talk to them. And so I want to be clear about something. It's not that uh, necessarily one, you know, captive versus broker is better than the other. It's just for you to understand as a client what you're buying and what that person can offer you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other piece to that is, and I'll ask you this because maybe things have changed. Uh, from an underwriting perspective, there's got to be, I would think, different insurance companies will have a target market, if you will, in terms of cost basis versus a different one. Mm -hmm. Like if... You know, if I had a DUI, God forbid, which I don't, just so we're 100% clear compliance, yeah. I do not have a DUI. But if I did, <laughs> if I did, there's got to be a specific insurance company that would probably be better for me than another, I would think. 
Yes, there's there are carriers that or insurance companies that will will I I guess cater is the correct word. Um, we don't necessarily at Sprague Israel Giles partner with those carriers. We do have one that if it's a current client and they've been a client for a while, we can place them in this market and we kind of watch until that DUI, we proactively watch the policy and the term and see when that can actually fall off so we can move them back to a more standard carrier. Right. Yeah. I guess that's probably a bad example. Maybe it's like driving record. If I had several tickets or accidents, maybe mm-hmm. same same thing I'm assuming. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I cool. mean, they're kind of one and the same, actually. So I'm like literally laughing in my head right now. Why did I mention DUI? Like... <laughs> They're gonna pull my record now. I guarantee yeah. it. Oh well, doesn't good matter. Good luck with that. Yeah, no. good luck with that one, Ryan. <laughs> so hypothetically, hypothetically. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about let's let's start talking about coverages, right? So one hundred. I'm gonna bring up a coverage that a lot of people may have, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna say it the way that they'll read it on the declaration page. Mm-hmm. It's gonna say literally one hundred backslash or is that forward slash i always forget 300 slash 100 so 100 300 100 what does that mean so that is what they call a split limit um which means so the the first number that first 100 means those that's a bodily injury so that's for injuries for the other party if you cause an accident let we'll back up this limit is for injuries and property damage for the other party when you're found at fault for an accident, auto accident. Um, there's no deductible that's applied to that. I get that question all the time. There's no deductible, it just pays out, takes care of the other person. So the first 100 or that first number means that's $100,000 per person for injuries. The second number in your example, 300, that's 300,000, that's per incident. So you have 100,000 maximum per person in that car up to $300,000. So for example, there's two people in the car and one person, they have $150,000 in medical bills or injuries each. Now, because you have that maximum, they're only going to get the 100,000 each per person. So even though there's a $300,000 cap, if mm-hmm. you will, per incident, it's still 100 per person, meaning there's a $50,000 gap that's going to me if I was the one driving that car. Right, right. Okay. And then the last number is, in your example, the 100,000. That's for property damage. That's for damage to the other vehicle or a fence or I mean even a building um, we see it a lot more often than you think people running into buildings um, and you would have a hundred thousand dollars towards payment of that building fence or vehicle to either be totaled out or repaired so some things to think about when I think about those limits uh, for me personally would be uh, a that's three hundred thousand dollars that I'm protecting from really my assets, right? So if I'm worth more than 300,000, I might want to consider doing something different. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the 100,000, the property damage, right? We live in Seattle and in Seattle, um, there are, let's just say, more extensive cars sometimes than Mm -hmm. other areas. So you might hit the Maserati or the Bentley that might be worth more than 100,000 or if your limit's only 50,000, maybe that's even a better example in that. Um, so it's something to think about, right? Right. Um, a lot of people also may have just one number on there, either 300 or 500, and that's what's called a combined single limit. So that gets rid of that cap per person. So like my example before, two people get in an accident, they each have um, injuries excess of $100 or $100,000, that gets rid of that cap per person. It's if you've got 500 there, it's a combined single limit. That's $500,000 for all those injuries and the property damage combined. So if you have the like my example, you have those two people um, that have $150,000 each, 
in injuries, you get the full 300 and you'll have 200,000 left over for for the property damage. So combined single limits um, take away that restrictiveness and they're, you know, they're actually a better way to go if you're carrying those um, 100, 300, 100 type limits, unless you have those limits increased. So is there, a, is there a cost difference then? Like if I had, you know, the one or 300 wonder that we're talking about here, really that's a total of 400,000 mm-hmm. uh, that would be covered 300,000 for bodily injury, 100,000 property damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously caveats in that in terms of how it gets paid out. Right. If I had a single limit, like you're talking about of 500,000 instead of that, or if I could just do a single limit of 400,000, let's use that as same, same example with the single limit, 400,000, from a cost perspective, be higher? It is a bit higher. Um, it's not that drast- that much drastically higher. Um, but, I mean, going if you were to get an umbrella policy, they account for that. Um, they kind of give you a discount on the umbrella or the excess policies for having those higher limits or those combined limits. While they're a little bit more expensive, uh, they're not drastically expensive, like I said, they will, I, you don't have that restrictiveness and you, it's a more comprehensive coverage. Right. Yeah. And to be clear, I wasn't saying that the cost is the only thing to look at, but it's more of just being transparent around, yeah, it might cost more, but what is that coverage difference that you're getting? It's that value add that you need to analyze. Mm-hmm. You brought up umbrella in that. So let's talk about umbrella policy. I think many people have heard of an umbrella policy. Mm-hmm. I think very few times when I'm speaking with my clients, um, I would wager 50% of them actually know what it is. Right. So an umbrella policy is an excess layer of liability on top of your, your that one, uh, 100, 300, that split limit or that combined single limit that we just discussed. So, I mean, they start at a million dollars and they go up to 10. We have some, we personally have some providers that will go a lot higher than that. Um, But for purposes of this, you know, they start at 1 million. Um, And a lot of people think I'm not worth a million bucks. I don't have a million dollars worth of anything. But it doesn't just protect your tangible assets. It also protects your investments, your future earnings, your savings. All that can come into play if you have a sort of catastrophic accident. You know, knock on wood, nobody does, but that comes into play. And I remember working with you, Ryan, at that insurance carrier, and um, I was just renting. I had this... 2000 Honda Accord that, you know, not worth much. It was was pretty hip. It was pretty cool. It's it's still (laughs) around, you know. (laughs) It's rad. It's rad. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. Um, But I had that and I was renting an apartment, you know. I'm not making, I'm barely making any money. And you said, you know, we, at the time we were working out in Redmond and Bellevue. And you said, you know, you're you're in the land of Microsoft. You're in the land of all of this. What happens if you hit one of these people? You know, I mean, you, and you don't want to lose your future earnings. While you may not be making a lot now, you're going to make more. And you don't want that. You don't want something today to prevent you from, you know, growing and tomorrow. I mean, it could prevent could have prevented me from getting a home or, you know, in the future, it just, it could have totally socked me in. Yeah. The, the, the piece that I always talk about there is in your example, or in our example, the 100, 300, if there's four people in the car and they each have a hundred thousand dollars worth of medical damage, that means one person's getting your phone number. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Right. So obviously the umbrella kicks in to cover that. But the, the second piece of this is, and this is the more detrimental piece oftentimes is if the driver of the car is also a student becoming that will become a surgeon yeah and that surgeon maybe maybe he can't become or she can't be become a surgeon now do you think they might sue you for loss of income or the loss of potential income yeah they might sue you and how are they going to sue you it's not it's not going to be based off the income that they're making today it's what they Mm -hmm. would have made yeah it's a huge number and in the state of washington they can come after your, your income, future income, as you were just yeah. talking about. Yeah, they can do um, a full asset check. 
if you have a home, you know, you may get a double mortgage on your home. It's, I mean, I definitely don't want to pay a double mortgage on my home. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of people don't think about that aspect of it. And, you know, I don't try to insure based off of fear, but this kind of stuff happens. We, we see it. Um, and you just don't, you just don't know what's out there and you just don't know what's going to happen. Seattle, we have a lot of bicyclists. I mean, with the bike share, we have a lot of people on bicycles. You're driving and, you know, sometimes they don't always pay attention or things can happen. There's bike lanes. That it's, it's tough to maneuver in Seattle right now. I mean, I just drove out of downtown and I'm just got my head on a swivel. Um, and living down there, I, I see it all the time. Bicyclists get close to getting hit all the time if they don't get hit. Um, and that's, you know, that's a very easy claim to expose, to have so much exposure yeah. to. Yuck. It's all around you. And in Redmond, um, the the scooters or the little um, scooters that they have out now, I mean, that's another example. Everybody's zipping around and alternative modes of transportation. You, you have to be aware and you have to know what your exposure is if something were to happen. So the umbrella policy is a policy that goes above and beyond your current limits of mm -hmm. liability that you have on your auto insurance. Um, I'm sure when you said it starts at a million dollars of coverage and higher. A lot of people probably thought, you know, I don't need that much. So we already kind of hopefully solved for some of that, or at least answered some of that. The other piece is, well, that's got to cost a lot of money. Right. And that's the thing that I get like anything, right? We always want to know what the cost is and, and we need to analyze that. So what is, obviously there's parameters or different things that affect the cost, but what's the general cost of a million dollar umbrella policy? It can range from $188 a year to $250 a year. It's all contingent on, you know, how many homes you have or how many vehicles you may have. Um, if you have any drivers in the household that are under 25. Um, but really, we're looking at, you know, 12 bucks a month, well, 16 bucks a month or $20 a month extra, which, I mean, we all kind of dump that here and there for that additional peace of mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 16 to 20 bucks a month. So it, the cost is not high, like I think a lot of people perceive that policy to be. Right, I think it's just because it's got a million behind it, you assume that it's that it's going to be astronomical, but it's, it's definitely not. It's such an easy policy to have. I mean, like I said, I've had one since you and I worked together back in 2010, so never gone without it nine years ago that's still oh yeah well <laughs> i guess my math's not that yeah great. <laughs> still a while ago so let, let's transition from umbrella to you know you brought up um, real estate or home insurance right so um uh, one thing that we try to have our clients do is is video if you will walk around with their cell phone and just kind of video their personal property just as a, a detailed report of what you have if god forbid the worst happens and your house burns down to the ground right as, is, I'm assuming that's something good to do. That's great to do. I mean, I I actually um, have one of those little old old school cameras that has little memory card, and I go through and I'll take pictures of it, and I actually give that card to my brother because if my house burns down, the, <laughs> the card's going with it. The card's going with it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but if it's with your cell phone and everything like that, that's perfect. I mean, claims adjusters aren't as tough as people assume as far as well you didn't have that we're not going to give you money for that um or we're not going to replace that because we don't have any proof now if you're if you're saying you've got this forty thousand dollar couch that's imported from italy they're probably going to want some some do some more documentation than just the camera uh, or some photos, but um, they're pretty straightforward. And as long as you can show what you had, or you know, take pictures, it's gonna be it's gonna expedite the claim so much. And they do understand, you know, I, your TV may be ten years old. We know we they're not gonna try and replace that TV, a ten year old TV. They're gonna replace that newer model <laughs> with whatever, or that older model with whatever out now. 
So if you have one of those big old tube televisions, they're not going to stick you with one. Of those. The TV where you actually have to have turn the, knob, the click, click, click. The, the, <laughs> the bunny ears. The, well, no, the the speakers in the side that oh. are all socked, built in. That was like, so cool back in the day. Hey, man, I yeah, my parents had one of those. I thought we were loaded. <laughs> I think it was a nice oak looking thing on the outside. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Spared no expense. 1980s. <laughs> yes. So what about, there are specific items uh, in a household that you may want to consider what they call scheduling or, or there's parameters in terms of what the, the insurance company would actually pay out, such as jewelry and whatnot. Talk a little bit about that. Right. So with your more valuable items, like your rings or any art, I mean, we have clients in at Sprague that um, that even do like I said have have a chair that's insured it's a piece of art um, and what scheduling does is it actually gives you that agreed value so you're so while you know the agreed value means this is what it's worth you're gonna get a check and it also um, so let's say you've got a ring for ten thousand dollars you lose the ring the insurance company is going to pay you $10,000, that $10,000 for the ring. Like my example just said, you lose the ring. That is actually covered. You can misplace it. You can lose it. It can be damaged or lost in an earthquake. It can be stolen. It's what we call an open peril policy. That's insurance nerd speak for unless it's stated in the policy is excluded, it's covered. Um, right. But like on a general home insurance policy, what you're saying is if you lost the ring in that example and it's not specifically listed on your policy, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And there's endorsements or additional optional coverages that you can add to the policy to to cover that uh, that mysterious disappearance is what what the policy will call it, a.k.a. losing it. Uh, <laughs> But um, it also, but it also won't open it up to you know the earthquakes or anything like that. But losing the item will be covered, but it'd be subject to your deductible. Whereas if it's listed or scheduled, it's not subject to a deductible, so you don't have that out of pocket. Also, back to what you were saying, there's limitations. There can be limitations of twenty five hundred dollars on an item of jewelry. Now, if you've got a ten thousand dollar ring and you don't have that listed on your policy, you may only get $2,500 for it. And I say may only get $2,500 for it because you'll have to get some documentation that you had this ring. So the important thing is, is the obviously understand what you have on your home insurance policy mm -hmm. and what's specifically listed. Really look at your home uh, you know, I'm a dork in terms of I have autograph memorabilia, but that's important to me. And I want to make it's sure not that in that... terms of autograph memorabilia. You just are. That's true, too. You're not wrong. <laughs> but it's important. So I want to make sure that, you know, that, for instance, would not be covered the way I wanted it covered unless I put that specifically on the policy. Exactly. Exactly. So. And they have they have coverages for collections. Um, they We call it blanket limits, um, which is just one solid limit, you know, $50,000 for all these items, but they may be limited to, I don't know, $5,000 per item. So, but they have a blanket limit for those collections type, gotcha. type situations. Gotcha. So what about someone that has multiple real estate properties, right? You know, what happens if, you know, if I own four real estate properties, what is, how should I be what questions should I be asking you, or maybe more importantly, what questions will you be asking me to make sure that I'm protected the way that I want to be protected? Well, if you've got multiple real estate properties, um, the carriers uh, or the insurance companies, they they don't have a lot of hesitations and too much, but they will cap how many you can have on one policy. Some carriers limit it to four. Some carriers live, have ten, or or some are, you know unlimited you know these are you've got your primary home your auto you've got all these properties okay great but um a question a main question is if, if you have a bunch of different additional homes we're going to ask is this are you going to occupy it are you going to rent it or is it going to be a short-term rental 
which is more affectionately known as an Airbnb or a VRBO, which that's really changing the game right now. Oh, and they're popular, so. Oh, very popular. Yeah. And um, it's really a lot of the carriers um, are starting to adjust their form to account for that. Um, obviously, there's some limitations with the form adjustment. Um, I know one that we partner with right now they accept the VRBO or Airbnb um, exposure, but the caveat to it is you have to live in the house at least six months out of the year and you can't rent it out more than that. So um, it's really just a click of a button on the homeowner's policy. Now, so the okay. risk expo- exposure is different there, right? So it's, right. it's not like I'm renting it to someone and that person's going to rent it for the next 12 months. Right. It has a signed lease agreement. Right. Yeah. It's, it's someone that's going to come in and rent it for a week. Right. Way different risk because now you're talking about someone that you don't know mm-hmm. renting your home for a week and that puts the insurance company on a hook right. for someone that they don't know now. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I think the caveat, this is my assumption, the caveat with you have to occupy the home at least for five or six months out of the year is so that they know that you have a grasp on it. You're not just renting it out constantly and you're keeping tabs on your house and making sure that's dialed in. Um, There are companies that will write it as a VRBO or Airbnb 365 days a year. it is a bit more expensive, but you want to be honest with your insurance company or your agent or broker about that. Because serious, when if a claim comes arises, which the exposure is there, and the likelihood of one happening in a VRBO is very high, if a claim comes in and we didn't know it was being rented out as a short-term rental or a VRBO, there can be some issues of coverage there and that can leave you exposed and going back to the to the umbrella if you've got multiple rental properties you want to make sure that you have enough coverage for that liability on top of all those homes a million dollars is probably not gonna cut it for somebody who has multiple rental properties especially in the area that we live in i mean standard starter home is five hundred thousand Right, right. Right. If you got four, now you're looking at two million. Right. So, so it's it's very easy to to open yourself up and have some gaps in that regard. So So speaking of gaps in so home insurance or even rental properties, talk a little bit about earthquake insurance, which is a whole nother like beast and ball game, at least from what I recall when I was working in the industry. Yeah, so I I get the question a lot, you know, write me an earthquake policy or can I get an earthquake quote? Um, Because we hear about it all the time. The big one, the Cascadia fault zone or, you know. Oh, we just had one. Yeah, we did. Not too long ago. Yeah. And um, so earthquake works a little differently. This is one of my my main questions uh, that I get. is about earthquake and how the deductibles work. The deductibles are not like your standard $1,500 or $2,500, like your homeowner's policy or your auto policy. The deductibles are actually a percentage of your replacement cost or your dwelling limit. Um, so, And it's per. It's not like if you had an earthquake, I just wanna make sure I'm, I'm understanding it clearly. If you had an earthquake and God forbid the house fell to the ground. Mm-hmm. It's not just a deductible on the dwelling, but it's also deductible on your personal property, mm-hmm. right? It's on everything that the policy was covering. There's deductibles in each specific section. That's correct. So way different way, than standard yeah, home insurance. Way different. And a lot of people, obviously, deductibles are higher. If the deductible is higher, your premium is going to be lower. But what I always caution people on earthquake is when you have that higher deductible, you've got to think about what can I pay out of pocket if an earthquake happens and my house goes to the ground? Can I afford this? Because what's the point in having the deductible or having the policy if you can't afford the deductible? I would like my deductible to be $200,000, but I only have five grand in my account. Exactly. 
Exactly. And people don't think about it that way. So is it worth it for you to pay out on this policy and not be, it'd be a a completely moot policy. And um, we partner with a specialty carrier that offers as low as 2.5% deductibles, which is great and up to 25%. So we have a range and all they do is specialize in specifically earthquake coverage. So they don't have the exposure for the fires and the thefts. We partner with them. I've seen other carrier, other um, providers partner with this um, with this provider um, because a lot of the you know the standard markets are kind of getting out of the earthquake game because the exposure is rising and rising. So I can't imagine what the exposure is currently, um, and that's just in the state of Washington. Let alone, although I don't know if California has. Does California is that a state? Governed thing? Do you know? They have they have a state. Um, they have the California Earthquake Authority. That's right. And then they then this there uh, there's carriers that will write the coverage down there. And this particular one that we partner with writes writes down there as well. And do they still like when the earthquake occurred just a month ago or so? Oftentimes the carrier will actually stop writing policies for mm-hmm. a time period because now. Now that risk just went very high, so now not taking on any new risks. Right, right. They will have a moratorium for a certain amount of time um, after the risk or the earthquake happens. Um, I believe that's when they realize there's not going to be more aftershocks. We actually didn't see one with the carrier that we write with. Okay. Yeah, we did not see one, but we also didn't have a really big influx of people calling asking about it. That's interesting. Which I would was, have, I yeah. would have thought you would have had that because I I would think that most people won't carry their earthquake insurance possibly because of cost mm-hmm. and the risk profile that they perceive to be their risk. And then when they feel an earthquake, they're like, "Crap, I should get it." And the reason I brought it up is if you say, "Crap, and I should get it," it may not be available to right. you at that it time. Right. It may not be available for it, and we don't know how long the moratoriums are going to be, and the carrier will not tell us when they do slap a moratorium on these kind of things. So it could be an hour, it could be two weeks, it could be a month, a month and a half. We don't know. So, I mean, if you're interested in it, and like I said previously, you want to make sure you have that deductible that you're going to be able to afford when, if and when it happens. Yeah, the deductible pieces are huge across all three, auto, home, and umbrella. You know, you can mess with each of those deductibles to save costs. You know, possibly you can lower or raise your deductible on auto to maybe purchase the umbrella or at least offset that cost. Mm-hmm. Or you could raise your earthquake, but you better have the cash flow or the savings sitting there to actually pay for the deductible. So there's a fine line of how much do you have liquid to cover that deductible if it occurred? Exactly, because the banks aren't going to go run out and loan you that money. No, you know. there was just an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, please, I'll give you a loan now. I know you only have a grand in your account. However, right. I will give you the loan, no problem. I'm not worried about it at all. Right, right. Here you go. Here's the check. Don't need to sign anything. There you go. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, we always talk to our clients about having, obviously, that emergency fund, having that liquidity to be able to have higher deductibles mm-hmm. because you can afford it. But you have to look at it from that viewpoint. So if you don't have that emergency fund, then possibly the lower deductible would make sense because how are you going to pay for it? Right. Exactly. Right. You don't want to put it on credit cards. Exactly. And so. then be in a worse position. So earthquake is common question for you f- from your from your clients. Do you get any other common questions that we haven't spoken about? Yeah, we get a lot of um, back to that replacement cost limit or the dwelling coverage, that's the cost to rebuild your home in the repair or rebuild your home in the event of a loss. And we get a lot of questions about, well, I bought my home for $1.7 million. Why is the replacement cost only 650? Well, the replacement cost on the home is the total cost to repair or rebuild your home. That includes labor and materials debris removal. If it goes all the way to the ground, you're going to need somebody to come and clear the land. Whereas whereas the value of the home, that includes the land itself, which we don't insure. We don't insure the grass underneath your, your home, but it also includes things like school districts, crime rates, proximity to amenities or freeways. You know, those kind of things add to the value of your home. And a lot, a lot of people are taken back by 
how much their home was worth versus what the replacement cost is. So it's always going to differ. Right. It's not, it's not what someone's willing to pay for, for your home. It's not a mm -hmm. supply and demand thing here. This is a pure, what would it cost to rebuild your home as it sits today? Yes. And the insurance companies, they have these calculators and they have the, the cost of labor materials, all of that in our area or in your specific area. They have that dialed in and factored in. They also, I haven't seen one insurance policy or homeowner's insurance policy that doesn't have that inflationary guard. So each year, your that replacement cost or dwelling coverage limit is going to adjust and account for rises in in those labor and materials. So just trust your insurance company that if, if they have done their due diligence and gone through and accounted for all the characteristics of your home properly, your home is insured correctly. You bring up something that's probably a big, let's just call it pet peeve for probably a lot of people that have insurance policies, specifically the auto, let's stick with the auto, go back to the auto if we could, of, and I'm sure you get this phone call, or maybe you used to get this phone call of why my rate go up. Mm -hmm. And you just hit the nail on the head in terms of just, there's this thing called inflation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the cost of everything goes up every year. The same thing is true in terms of, if they're protecting you, they have to offset that cost to some degree, not including driving record of what happened that year. So there's that piece that's adding to that. And I think a lot of people just forget that aspect. All they think of is, I gave you a bunch of money. I didn't file a claim. I shouldn't pay you more money. Right. Exactly. And, you know, insurance, people are rated in a pool. And unfortunately, you know, what your neighbor does can impact you, whether it's auto accidents, homeowners claims, um, or, you know, whatever it may be, all those costs are rising due to inflation. Auto accidents include uh, repairs to the vehicle, the rental vehicle um, payout, the injuries, the medical treatment. The mechanic that's repairing the car. Exactly. It's, it's all going up. And so insurance companies have to account for that and unfortunately, I, we're all in the we're all in that pool together. And some carriers, uh, when Wait, it so you're not subtracted from the pool. No, I'm oh, not. Darn. I'm subject to all this <laughs> stuff too. Um, but there's some there's some insurance providers who have options for you to be more rated more as an individual. And a lot of that is plugging a chip into your car, which not a lot of people are very Privacy. excited to do. Yeah. So. Um, that's that's one of the options that a lot of carriers are offering. If you are interested in that, you'll definitely want to talk to your agent or broker because we have a provider that offers that. We have two providers that offer that. One of them, it will not negatively impact your your policy. The other one, it will. So so you think So be careful what you ask yeah, for. <laughs> yeah. So if you think we're and if you come to me I'm not going to push that on you at all. Like, I will not. <laughs> I can just imagine someone that, you know, drives a Ferrari or something like that and wants the personal approach, takes the chip, and next thing you know, the chip is giving information back to the insurance company that they're going 120 right. on I-90. Yeah. Didn't get caught, though. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I didn't get in an accident. Right. So exactly. my risk is still pretty low. Totally. <laughs> so. so, yeah, you definitely want to, if you're interested in those, um, while from what I'm aware of, they they do not um, interfere with your privacy, but a lot of people have that concern and it's completely understandable. But you can always ask your insurance company about it, but definitely read the fine print on it because like I said, there's that one that that will negatively impact you right And we don't we don't want that to happen to you. That's the last thing an agent or broker wants. Because we don't we don't like that conversation either. <laughs> so. so let's talk about some action items uh, from today's conversation. So we want to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of these, is A, just know what you have. What, what are your limits and compare it to what it is we're protecting, right? We're protecting not only your assets, but also your income. Because mm -hmm. maybe you don't have a ton of assets, but you still have this thing called income that's coming in the door. want to make sure we're protecting that aspect. Understand what an umbrella policy is. Um, we highly suggest 
most people have that just because you do have income coming in the door and it does help protect that income. Uh, and then look at it, uh, you know, there's discounts out there and whatnot, but making sure you're aware of what your policy is covering mm-hmm. specifically around uh, obviously the bodily injury limits, but from a home insurance standpoint, specific items in your home may not be covered the way that you want them to be covered. Correct. So putting this all into a plan and having someone look at everything together is obviously more efficient. Definitely. I mean, you don't feel like you're bothering your insurance agent or broker. It It's so funny to me when, when I get an email or a phone call, sorry to bug you. It, this is what I do. You know, it's my job to understand it and relay it to you. It's not your job all the time to be the expert. You know, we, we get licensed, we go through continuing education, we're constantly You're talking. getting paid to do that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, and it's it's what we do. I mean, and insurance, not, people don't stay, not a lot of people stay in the insurance world for a long time. Um, and so when you do get somebody that's, that's there and knowledgeable, pick their brain, you know, you're, you're allowed to ask those questions that you may feel like, man, I'm the only person in the world who doesn't know this. But so like, don't have that hesitation when you're talking to your insurance agent or broker, because you don't want to find out how it works after a claim has happened. Cause that's, I mean, it's the worst for you. It's the worst for the agent. Um, yeah, just be open and just ask. You're not bothering them. They've got, and if they're busy, they've got somebody, they've got a team that's going to help you so or help out. I think a lot of times, especially you know, people like you and people that, that have been in the industry for a long time, they actually enjoy conversing with someone that actually wants to understand it. Like it's fun to like pass on the knowledge, if you will. Yeah, and to see people, to see people go, oh, I had no idea that's how that works. It's like, yeah, you know, like, and who knows how long they waited to ask that, or maybe it just came up in just a topic of conversation. I mean, insurance agents and brokers know a lot more about what's personally going on with their clients. I mean, that's what makes us better at what we do. We know when the kids are going off to school, you know, we we have follow-ups like, hey, what are we doing with the cars? Where are they going to school? That's great, you know, when kids are turning 16, when when people are getting married, when people pass away, we're there for a lot of very detailed, intimate moments of people's lives. And, you know, we're there as if, as almost like a friend, you know, I approach talking to all my clients as if, you know, I'm sitting right across the desk from them and, you know, or in their house, we're just having a conversation. It's, it just is more enjoyable. And like you said, I, I like to help people understand it and that's my approach when, you know, I quote people. It may not be the cheapest or it may, you know, if it doesn't come out to the, you know, financially work out or the money, every single one of those people that I quote, I feel like walks away learning something. And if they take it back to their current agent or broker, great. Then, you know, they can have that conversation. But I, I just like knowing that I've helped people out and they understand it more. Well, that's what makes you a professional compared to other people out there. So uh, tell people how they want to, get, if they want to get a hold of you uh, for their specific needs, how would they reach you? Yeah, you can visit us at um, www.siginsures.com. That's S-I-G insures.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Kristen Blosser, uh, SIG Insurance. Um, and yeah, you can shoot me an email, kblosser at siginsurance.com or give me a call, 206-947-7042. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I hope uh, everyone listening got uh, at least a little piece uh, of advice or something they can take back to their personal finance, uh, personal finances and implement. And as usual, we look forward to chatting with you all in the next week. Yeah. Take care. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. 
Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All scenarios and names mentioned herein are purely fictional and have been created solely for training purposes. Any resemblance to existing situations, persons, or fictional characters is coincidental. The information presented should not be used as the basis for any specific investment advice. Neither Guardian nor its subsidiaries issue health, malpractice, property and casualty, automobile or umbrella insurance. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-89306, expiration 11-2021.